0: What's up guys, and welcome back to my podcast. Ah, I'm gonna have to think of a better intro. Hey guys, welcome back to the Turning Point podcast. It is now season two. So things are gonna look a little different. First, I wanna apologize because I intended to make an official announcement that I was gonna take a break for a little while, um, and then I never did it, of course. So then I figured, you know, I usually go about a month in between episodes anyway. So I'm sure nobody noticed. (laughs) Anyway, of course, I'm gonna promise, yeah, I'm gonna post more regularly. And then I probably am not because it's summer and I'm pretty busy here at camp. but I'm going to be writing and recording as much as I can, so please bear with me. But yeah, this is going to be season two. Um, I'm capping season one where it is because I think I had ten episodes and it seems like a nice solid number. I started this project with no idea what I was going to do, where it was going to go, so I feel like I have a lot of freedom to just kind of change things and make it up as I go along. So yeah, season two. Um, so far season one episodes were just kind of me talking about random things that I thought of and I tried to keep the theme of turning points like stuff I changed my mind about or God showed me a way I needed to change my thinking and well I think I got a lot of positive feedback from those and I think they were, they were, I think they were good (laughs) if that's not too proud to say. Um, but for this season I'm gonna start from, I'm always going to start from a Bible passage or a book of the Bible, um, and just instead of, like, trying to find scripture that fits into you know, what I'm trying to say, I'm gonna just for this season, and we'll see what comes next, um, just start with the scripture, and then try to bring things out of that, and I'm not a super educated Bible scholar um, I'm just trying to put into practice reading it, observing it, um and I think the main thing what I've been trying to focus on when I've been reading the Bible is just like figuring out more about who God is like specifically and I'm reading through the prophets right now I've read Isaiah and I'm like part way through Jeremiah um, and that has been fascinating because those books you know they weren't directly written to us but they're real stories of how God interacted with his people and so there's so much we can take from who God is and like. How do we find out about people? Like, how do you get to know someone? You, you spend time with them and you see how they interact and how they react to things. And um, even though there's not a lot of direct, like, information, like God is this way. Like, you can just see it um, happening, like in real time as He's interacting with these people who um, really aren't the greatest. And just seeing His character come back and be true over and over again. So um I'm not doing Isaiah just yet that I had uh, a great time reading that, and I learned a lot, but I'm a, it's such a huge book that it's going to take me a while to kind of uh condense it down, maybe it'll do be two or three episodes um but right now, I'm going to start with the book of Habakkuk um Me and the girls here at the Bible School recently did a study in this um, using the Daily Grace Bible study, and I love those. I really recommend them. They're beautiful, and they ask really good questions and make you think about it. So for this episode, I'm just going to kind of summarize the book and then talk about what I learned about it and what I think we all can learn from it. Um, I would highly recommend you go read the book of Habakkuk. It's only three chapters, and uh, yeah so it shouldn't take you that long so the book of Habakkuk is basically a conversation between the prophet and the lord himself this first heading says Habakkuk's complaint and that makes you think like oh Habakkuk is just whining about something but that's I don't think that's a strong enough word because you read it and he's saying oh lord how long will I cry for help and you're not going to hear so what he's saying is just like he is hopeless and he is desperate and it seems like he's just forgetting or losing sight of who God is and he's trying to remember like God you say you are a just person and you hate evil and yet all this evil is happening and you're not doing anything about it so he's seeing his current reality and he's trying to remember the character of God and they don't seem to match up and so he's left with this just hopelessness and despair and we see this through the Psalms as well there's a lot of times people just ask the question of like where are you God and it seems so disrespectful in our like Christian world of you know you always remember what's true about God and you like you don't (laughs) you don't ask questions that you know the answer to and you know you have to be respectful but he is just he's so hopeless and despairing that yeah, he's being perfectly honest and I think sometimes we have these questions and we don't like to admit that we have them because we know, you know, that's not who God is or like that's not what we're supposed to do. Um, but the Lord actually answers him. Um, he says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Um, so God doesn't answer his question directly. Uh, he tells Habakkuk to look around. He's saying, like, I'm working on something that's, you're not going to believe it. And then, for the rest, like, uh, chapter 1, verse 6 through 11, he goes on to describe the the Chaldeans, this nation that is um, evil and greedy and oppressive, um, and they're violent and they're warlike. And he is saying, like, I am raising up these people. Like, he's going to do something with this nation. And so it leaves you wondering, like, what is he going to do? And it's kind of strange because the Lord is answering Habakkuk's question of, like, what are you going to do about all this evil? And the Lord is saying, I'm, yeah, there's a lot of evil, <laughs> but I'm doing something with it. And so Habakkuk's second complaint, or basically his response to the Lord, um, is... It's a little more complicated. He's saying, like, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my holy one, we shall not die. Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are pure eyes than to see evil, and cannot idly look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? And then he goes on and describes the evil that's happening and how how ruthless they are and how they live in luxury and their food is rich and it's just like it just seems to go on and on and I don't understand why you're not coming in judgment against these people and just saying like oh I'm going to do something and then at the end of his complaint at the beginning of chapter two it says I will stand on my watch post and station myself on the tower I will look out and see what he will say to me what I will answer concerning my complaint. And we don't really know how long he waited in between when he says, I'm going to wait, and then the Lord answered him again. Um, I can imagine that would be pretty frustrating to have to wait and just to receive this really cryptic answer from the Lord when you just pour your heart out and it seems like nothing is changing. Um, but the Lord's answer is uh, its pretty powerful. The Lord answered, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, and it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. And so, the Lord answers, again, like, something is happening. There's something coming, something that will come no later than it's supposed to. And something that the Bible study that we did brought out is that when it says, he may run who reads it, it's referring to... Like a herald of news. Like someone who hears something and then runs and brings it back to everyone else. So he's saying like something is coming. Something that everyone will know about. It will, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Um, so this is prophetic. Saying like something is coming. Like I'm doing something. It will not delay. It will be coming. Um, and then the rest of the Lord's answer is a series of like woe to hymns. And I notice that all the things that he's describing, he's calling judgment on these people who gather riches for himself at other people's expense, who pride themselves on their wealth and they put confidence in the things they've achieved or stolen, etc. And just basically echoing Habakkuk's prayer and calling judgment and saying like, yes, I do see all this and I do notice all this. And I'm saying, woe to him because judgment is going to come. And then he says. All their glory will be covered in shame one day because the wrath of God is going to come for all they have done um, because they make idols for themselves that can do nothing for them. If you go down to chapter 2, verse 18, it says, What prophet is an idol when its maker has shaped it, a metal image, a teacher of lies, for the maker trusts in his own creation when he makes speechless idols? Woe to him who says to a wooden thing, Awake, and to a silent stone, Arise. Can this teach... Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, and there is no breath in it at all. He's kind of mocking all these people who make idols for themselves, and like they make it with their own hands and they expect it to speak, and then it's silent. Um, And I think there's a contrast between that passage and the next verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple, let all the earth keep silence before him. So, first, man like puts all this work into making an idol for himself, and it's just silent and useless. And then the Lord says, I am here. He's just like, my very existence, everyone else is silent. And so there's such a contrast between who the Lord is and his effect between what these humans are doing and how how it's just useless and futile. And so chapter three on is a prayer, a very long and poetic prayer from Habakkuk, um, He starts by saying, I've heard the report of you, and in your work, Lord, do I fear. In the midst of years, revive it. In the midst of years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then he goes on this description, and it's all written in past tense, but I don't actually know if this is prophetic or historic or just poetic, but it's this beautiful and powerful description of God just, walking through the earth like a one-man army like in judgment he's making the earth shake and he's before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels and the eternal nations were scattered the everlasting hills sank low his were the everlasting ways everything that we see on earth that we think will last like the mountains and the oceans like everything went away and it was shown that the lord is the one who lasts forever and in verse 12 and 13 i really like it says you marched through the earth in fury you threshed the nations in anger you went out for the salvation of your people for the salvation of your anointed you crushed the head of the house of the wicked laying him bare from thigh to neck and that just i just now thought of it so that's the calling back to in genesis 3 when god says to the snake like you shall crush his heel but he shall crush your head And there it is, like, even in the midst of God coming in wrath, he's saying, like, he is coming in wrath against sin and against those who reject him and against the enemy. And he's going out for the salvation of his anointed. Like, God is always... He's always just and he's always merciful. And he always keeps his promises all the way from Genesis. Like, even through all these things that happened, even when his own people um, rebelled against him, he is still their God, and he still keeps his side of the promise, and he's still coming for their salvation, fulfilling the promise that he made all the way back in Genesis. And then, in verse 16, Habakkuk says, I hear my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound, rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me, yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. And that, it seems to echo 2.20 when it says the whole earth waits in silence. It's just, that's the theme of waiting in awe of the Lord for the judgment of the Lord and for the salvation of the Lord. Of just like, it's all this big event wrapped up together and Habakkuk knows like, all I have to do is be silent and wait for it because it is coming and there's nothing anyone can do about it. And then the passage at the end, you've probably heard before, That the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, nor produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength, he makes my feet like the deer's, he makes me tread on my high places. And so, what I noticed about this passage is all the things he lists, like that are going to fail, they're all indicative of things that people work for or try to make to to provide for themselves, like their fruit trees, crops, and herd animals. Um, Because, like, even if all the things we do to provide for ourselves, even if those fail and we're in danger of starvation and going hungry, (laughs) yes, I know, (laughs) this mean the same thing, Um, that even though that happens, he will rejoice in the Lord. Uh, it just, it seems to me there's this theme through the whole book of people putting all their hope and confidence and trying to get all these things for themselves and provide for themselves or unjustly take for themselves like the Chaldeans. And Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's conclusion is that anything he could do to provide for himself could fail and he could be left with nothing and he would still rejoice in the Lord, his strength. He, if you look at the, his tone at the beginning of the book of this hopelessness and despair, it's just a complete 180 at the end when he just has this quiet, secure confidence in nothing else but the Lord. And so if I had to choose one word or theme for this book, I think it would be hope. He goes from extreme hopelessness to hope. And how does he do that? Nothing changes. Like, nothing about his circumstance, I don't think changes from the beginning of this book to the end. So how does his, how does his outlook change? It's because the Lord reveals part of himself to him. And the Lord reminds him, like, I'm doing something. And so by looking at the Lord and focusing all his confidence and all his hope in the Lord, that's how he goes from hopelessness to hope. Um, I love chapter 1, verse 5, where God says, Look upon the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And it's just a reminder that, like we can't see everything that's happening god could be god is doing so much and we have such a limited perspective that we're only seeing like 1% of everything that's happening at all times and so often i think we draw our own conclusions about what could happen or what is happening based on such limited information and we just kind of assume that god is not working because we can't see it. And so it's just so important to remember to trust in god's perspective and not ours. I am I don't remember where it is, but god says like my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways are higher than your ways as the mountains or as the heavens are above the earth so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And it's just so futile to focus all our perspective on what we can see because we see so little now let me ask you this do you think you are a hopeful person maybe you're not actively like crying out to the Lord how long and like why aren't you doing anything and you're not maybe you're not asking these questions of the Lord but do you really have the kind of hope that Habakkuk had in the end something, hopelessness can look like being in constant dread of tomorrow, always imagining things that could go wrong, being really passive because you know, know that nothing you do will work out well, it can look like daydreaming about the past and how everything used to be better, feeling stuck between two painful options all the time, especially it looks like fearing disappointment so much that you keep your expectations very low to prevent anything or anyone from falling short of them. You can try to excuse this as realism, but All the cynicalness in the world won't keep things from disappointing you, won't keep people from disappointing you, and it won't give you the attitude that can say, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, no matter what happens. I hate to tell you, but lowering your expectations and suppressing your fears so that you don't feel fear and you don't feel disappointment is not hoping in the Lord. You're still hoping in things, you're just trying to hope in them less. And you're just trying to shield your heart from disappointment. And that's not hope. What I took from Habakkuk most of all was the importance of changing your thoughts from what if to even if. Like Habakkuk did in the end, you have to look at all the things you want, all the things you're afraid of. And even if you don't want to admit them, you have to acknowledge them, look them in the face, and give them up to the Lord. Even if the worst things that you can imagine come true... You can rejoice in the Lord even if you do everything in your power to secure the future you want and it all fails you can still rejoice in the Lord this is the only kind of hope that will really last through anything that happens because it's set on someone that will never disappoint or fail you the point is not to never be disappointed and to never be sad and never go through hard times the point is to keep your heart centered on the Lord and have all your confidence and your hope And everything you're looking forward to to be focused on what God has promised and who he is and what he has for you and nothing else because you'll just be devastated and you'll just go through life constantly being disappointed because you're setting all your attention and all your energy on things that are notably gonna fail and that are not certain So God is the only certain person, the only certain thing in this life. And that's how you can really hope. That's how you can really be a person who looks forward to the future and hope, who laughs at the future, who isn't afraid, because they're not ignoring their fear, they're accepting it. They're accepting that what they're afraid of could happen, and yet God will still be good. you can say... (laughs) Even if, like, think of the thing you're afraid of the most. Think of the worst thing possible that could happen to you. Like, <laughs> even if I'm alone for the rest of my life, even if all my family dies, uh, even if I get gossiped about, even if I lose this job that I like, even if I don't get to go to college, um, yet I will rejoice in the, God my strength. And this kind of hope is something that the world doesn't have, because they don't have God. Everyone is hoping in something. Everyone has their hopes and dreams pinned to something that either they can achieve or that they're just hoping will come to them. And all the work in the world can't assure you anything, really. Like natural disasters. It's the great humbler of man. Like think of the Titanic. They put so much work into that dang ship, and it's sunk. <laughs> that might be a really cheesy metaphor, but I think you know what I'm getting at. So what is your confidence in? What is your hope in? Is it something that you are trying to achieve for yourself, trying to take for yourself, trying to make or gain? Or is it in something that the Lord promised? Is it in the God's character? Is it in the reality of heaven and the life to come? (sighs) Something that me and the girls did in our Bible study, was, I did it right under, there was like some blank page um, after the book of Habakkuk in my Bible, and you wrote down this list of even if, and write down, like, your worst fears and the things that you don't want to admit that you're afraid of and say, you write them out, like, even if this happens, even if this happens, and then you end it with, I will rejoice in the Lord, my strength so I would encourage you to do the same, and through prayer, and sure of a lot of emotions um just surrender those things to the lord and then like habakkuk you can have the hope that isn't tied to your circumstances but is tied to the lord that will never fail you i hope you appreciated um this little study and my observations from habakkuk um i will see you in the next episode not sure when it'll be but it'll be sometime